70 years, folks, 72 years. I don't know what that means to you. I mean, joking aside about Brett and I, I have a hard time feeling the weight of 72 years when I'm 40. Like, 72 years of ministry. When Bethany Bible College was banging around, I was texting some of our district historians, like some of the, the old saints who served. Some of you may know this or not, but A.D. can is kind of, they're, they're kind of debating on who had the idea to keep a church and launch a church in Southwest Nova, but that is Tom Can's grandfather. And so it's so amazing to celebrate people like A.D. Can and those who had the vision back. I think the actual anniversary date I dug and dug this week, I think is November the 26th, 1950, is the day that Yarmouth Weston launched. And now we have A.D.'s grandson celebrating one year of ministry in the south end of Yarmouth. Like, and, and some of you are here because of the prayers and the ministry of the saints who went before. John Simons preached here about a month or so ago, and it was disgusting how much you all love him. <laughs> Just sinful, I say, sinful. But I, I'll tell you, I sat right there. And I don't know about the rest of you. Some of you may not know John as well as some of you all do. Five words into a sermon, my soul was soothed. Anybody else feel that? I think he opened by saying, dear friends, there's something about standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before. I stand and get to preach here every weekend. I didn't pay for this facility. People who came before sacrificed and bled and gave. 72 years of kids' ministry, 72 years of youth ministry, and worship teams, and preaching, and serving the community, and jail, and all these things have been going on. Seven decades of service. And it's tempting when you show up all of a sudden, like, well, these are the best days ever. Well, these are just the days. These are just the days that we're in, and we get to do this because of the people who went along before. I'll scribble just a few thoughts, like the faithfulness of seven decades. Many churches don't last seven decades. Many churches get launched and don't make it past that first five years. So seven decades is worth celebrating. The risk of the people. <clears throat> I, I always drive by Brunswick Street, the old church, because you can see almost faith in, incarnate in a building. Like you can see the little building, you can see the expansion, you can see they moved up here. Like the people who risked and said, I think we should take a step forward. But there are people who risked with ministries. I mean, I kind of tease Cindy Power from time to time with the living Christmas tree. But, but that was a, a new idea once upon a time. Anything that gets old after a while, somebody risked once upon a time and had a dream. We, we watched the van do van ministry. Somebody risked once upon a time and said, we should do it for the first time. Things that are accepted as normal once upon a time had a first time. The first time that Alpha was launched. The first time someone said, we should do this. Celebrate recovery. We should launch something brand new. People around here have been willing to risk if it meant seeing lives change. That's the history you stand on. Uh, creativity, trying new things. Uh, the legacy. I'm not going to list all the pastors who pastored here, but dozens and dozens and dozens of pastors have given years, months, weeks, decades to serving the people of Southwest Nova. And then there's generosity. 
I don't have a number for this, but I would love to know the number of money that has been donated to the kingdom since day one. Think of the millions and millions and millions of dollars. I, every time one dollar comes in, I'm kind of in awe. It's one thing to go to Walmart and give your hard-earned money because you receive a goods in return, right? Yes, you understand how buying and selling works? <laughs> Just kind of nod with me. Let me know you're paying attention. It amazes me that gas prices and pandemics and all these things going on, whenever we kind of do the offering because we have to abide by good bookkeeping and all these kinds of things, it always amazes me that people give anything. We're, we're not selling goods and services here. You give generously. And last week's love offering, over $40,000 came in across the three campuses to go out to Love Atlantic. And that's just going to leave this building. The money that you guys have put on the mission fields, the people you have blessed, that we don't get up here every week and rah, 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 here's what we did. We don't do that. We probably should a little bit more than we do. But you guys, you probably don't even fully understand what has happened around the world in different countries because of people who have given generously here. So I just, I don't worship you, church. We honor you. We worship Jesus, but we honor you. So thank you for whether you just showed up five minutes ago, whether you showed up 55 years ago. Thank you for being a part of this. God leads it, but he does need his hands and feet, the body of Christ, to participate. Amen? Amen. <laughs> That's an okay start for 930. So I said to you to kick the series off that uh, I wanted to kind of look at renewal things. I've been saying to you for a few months now, we're not going backwards. I do not want to revive Yarmouth Wesleyan of 2019. I have no interest. It was amazing. We did some incredible things. I actually still kind of grieve that we're not there, but I don't want it back. That was great then. Uh, when I saw John Simons here, John would say, oh, these were the best days of my life. But we don't want to go backwards to them. We want to do ministry, and we want to be thankful for our heritage, but I don't know about you, I don't want to live life, and I don't want to do ministry through the rearview mirror. Agreed? Like, I want to look forward. I am so thankful. Like, that baptismal tank right there. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who've been baptized, and we celebrate, but I don't want to just look backwards all the time and say, oh, remember those days. I'll remember the 80s. I'll remember this. <clears throat> but I don't want to get here as of 2016. Like, oh, remember 2017. Those were the glory days. I want to lean forward and say, God, what do you have for us fresh and new? And I said to you when I opened this series that every pastor, every leader brings strengths and weaknesses. There is no pastor who brings just weaknesses, and there's no pastor who brings just strengths. There are always strengths and weaknesses, and one of my strengths is kind of seeing the big picture of what we're up to and where we're going. I just like the 30,000-foot view in life. I, I just prefer that. You want to launch campuses? I'm your guy. You want to fill the Mariner Center? Sign me up. Like, I like the big picture of ministry, but I said to you week one, I really felt God calling me personally, but I think us corporately, to bring our eyes off the 30,000-foot view and look into like, the Mondays and the Tuesday afternoons. You may not remember I said that, but I said it. It's on YouTube. You can go watch the first week. 
I love new campuses. I love that we're doing that. But I felt, and I'll even reveal a little bit more to you just because it's that kind of day. I, I've always been proud of, of a, the attempt to be a good leader. I've always wanted to be a good leader. But the last few months, the word that God has pressed in upon me, and I understand the nuanced nature of this word in our community, but God just will not release me from it. I, I felt a shift from wanting to be a good leader to being a priest. Now, priest, like I said, has all kinds of layers and connotations here, but I, I really felt God called me to be less into leadership and more into the work of the priest. Now, I'm not speaking of priests like the Roman Catholic Church. That's neither here nor there today. I'm speaking of priests, the people who serve and help mediate between God and man. Don't confuse that you need a mediator between God and man, but I want to do a better job of listening to God on behalf of our church. I want to do a better job of praying for people on behalf of our church. I want to do a better job of getting into the word and slowing everything down where I hear him say to me, this is the word that your church needs. I want to move my eyes off the grandeur of ministry, if you will, down into the little intimate spaces and places. And so I've said to you the last three weeks, Here's the kind of passage I'm talking about. Here's the kind of thing I'm processing. So in the spirit of that, I want to go to Luke chapter 8 today. I want to talk to you about the kingdom because we are here to participate and help usher in the kingdom of God. And what I would have said to you over the last six years, as we advance the kingdom, we're going to conquer mountains and we're going to put wells in and we're going to put camp. I would have, I would have preached this sermon on anniversary Sunday from the 30,000 foot view. Here's the kingdom of God expanding across Southwest Nova. And I want to slow that down a little bit and say, here's the kingdom of God expanding the way Jesus did it. And I said to you over the series, what's true for Jesus must be true for us. He said you can do these things and greater. And so I want to follow Jesus through the story and say, how did you advance the kingdom? Luke chapter 8, if you have your Bibles with you. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I don't know what you bring with you, but that's the one I'm reading from. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went, and the people pressed about, around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out for me. And, the one, the, sorry. and when the woman saw that she was not hidden... She came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when she came to the house, she allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But she said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. He directly, sorry, he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them not to tell anyone what had happened. I am very confused by this passage. There's so much mystery and so many questions you could ask me in the foyer after this that I could not answer to you. There is a mystery to the kingdom. There is a mystery to ministry and the church that I do not understand. Like I said to you, it amazes me that when we receive the offering, it amazes me that there's anything there. It amazes me in 2022 that we say there's church on Sunday and with all of our technology and with all of our things and all of our devices that you guys still show up. It amazes me that we do ministry. It amazes me that people get baptized. It amazes me that there's healings. All these things. And if someone said to me, how? I don't know how to give you a how. I just got to point you to Jesus. Because there is a mystery that I can't explain in this passage. But the passage feels so real. That opening phrase, as he comes in, the crowds gather around and they are waiting for him. Do you feel the waiting crowds in your life? I do. Now maybe when you hear the idea of crowds, that doesn't connect with you because maybe you're a lone ranger Maybe you feel alone. Maybe people aren't looking for you, but, but you understand the feeling of crowds pressing around you. It just might not be people crowds. It may be that people are waiting on you constantly. Maybe you're a mom in the room and it feels like every time you walk downstairs, the crowds of the children are pressing in on you. Any moms feel that every day? Like one mom over here feels it. And here's the thing about crowds. Even crowds you love, the waiting expectation can create a pressure, can't it? Like, man, this crowd's waiting for me again. They're pressing in on me again. I love church people, but church people are people waiting, and waiting people have expectations. And Jesus shows up, and there's a crowd waiting, pressing on him, and they have expectations. But there are other kinds of crowds I think you feel. I think there are people in this room that feel like a crowded schedule is pressing in on them. Every day you wake up with a low-grade anxiety of like, how am I going to get through another day? And it's not people, but there's appointments and things and burdens, and the to-do list far exceeds the hours, and your crowded schedule presses in. Maybe for some of you it's crowded finances. You come home every day and the mail that came through the slot, the mail in the box, you just cringe every time. Like, I cannot come home to another crowded mailbox with bills waiting for me. 
I do not know how I'm going to pay for it. I do not know how I'm going to keep up with inflation. I don't know how I'm going to be, do this and do this. And whatever you feel like, it can feel like the crowd is pressing in. If you're, if you're paying attention at all to our culture and society, there's also just the crowd of anxiety. There are people who just feel like it's not the people, it's not the schedule, it's not their bills, it's just like the air is pressing in on them. It just feels like they can't get clarity of thought. They can't get clarity of heart. They can't seem to make decisions. It just feels like life itself is pressing in. And whether it's people or schedules or budgets or anxiety, mental health, whatever it is, I think we are in a room full of people who knows what it's like to feel the weight of things pressing in and you're not sure if you can meet the demands. That's the quietest amen I ever heard. You feel it, don't you? And Jesus shows up and this crowd is like waiting for him. And they're pressing in. At one point, he says, someone touched me. And the rebuttal is like, who didn't touch you? I've, I've never preached in a room where people are that close. But I did a wedding yesterday in a, in a, in a room that was too small because the wedding was supposed to be outdoors. So we, we brought 120 people into a room that held like 60 people. I did the wedding like this under the canopy with like the bride and groom touching my chest. And we were all rammed in like, oh, there's the passage. I feel like Jesus maybe for the first time. The crowd is pressing in. Who touched me? So there's the way of crowds. There's a feeling that we all know what it's like to have that press in on us. We feel like, I can't catch my breath. But there's something about Jesus that is so attractive in the middle of the crowd. This, I've been drawn to this. Our staff's been talking about this for nine months. What is it about Jesus in the middle of the crowds where he can still see the ones? See, there's a conversation between Jesus and Jairus. And if you read quickly, it almost sounds like the crowds have dispersed. And there's Jesus and Jairus having a conversation, but that would be a misreading of the text. Jesus and Jairus are having a conversation in the middle of the crowd. Jesus cares about Jairus like he cares about the crowd, but he's giving Jairus his undivided attention. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where you're in a crowd and they're locking eyes with you 50% of the time? And they're locking eyes with the crowd the other 50% of the time? Like, who am I missing? Who... And they're talking to you, but they're looking around you as well. Jesus and Jairus are dialed in. This one matters to Jesus. But then, while they're having this conversation, in the midst of the crowd, one reaches out and grabs the garment. He says, somebody just touched me. Like, everybody is touching you. Everybody, no, no, someone just touched me. There's something so attractive and appealing about Jesus' ability to focus on the one in the midst of the chaos. I don't know about you, I'd be less drawn to this if he cared for the one if there was only one. Does that resonate? It's one thing to care about the one if there's only one. 
But Jesus cares about the one in the midst of the crowd. In the midst of the chaos, he sees that one like there's only one. I've been so drawn, Jesus and all the crowds and all the chaos of life and people vacationing and schedules busy and kids and life and going on like Jesus. How do we see the ones in the middle of the chaos and the crowd? Because if you wait for those two things to be removed to see the one, you'll never see the one. Oh, when things slow down, I'll help out my... When things slow down, I'll be more attentive. That's never, ever going to happen. Can the retired people say that's truth? The lie is I will love more when I have more margin. I will serve more when I have more time. I'll be more generous when I make more money. Oh, that's never going to come. Like Jesus, how do we see and care about the ones in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of the chaos? That's the way of Jesus. Then there's the way of the kingdom that I was so drawn to as well. There's the way of the kingdom. I I really am drawn to Jairus. I don't know who you're drawn to in the story. There's a lot of moving parts and people. I'm drawn to Jairus. Jairus is the one that sees the need. He's the vision. He knows the source of the power. That's Jesus. And he has no problem walking up to Jesus in the middle of the crowd like, hey, I see all these people, but, but I'm here. I have a plan, and I think you could help me with this. Like, I like this guy. Now, I get that he's a dad, and I get that his heart is hurting. But he walks up to Jesus and says, I've got a plan. I've got a plan that we could partner in ministry together because I've got a need and you've got the ability. I love planning and partnering with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. We have South Church. They are celebrating today. They have baptized 16 people this year. 16 people. Do you know how many AJ and Yarmouth Weston would have baptized of those 16 people if we didn't send? Zero. None of them. If they wanted to come to Yarmouth Wesleyan, they had 22 years to come to Yarmouth Wesleyan. They were never coming to Yarmouth Wesleyan. We moved our feet. We followed Jesus. We partnered with what he was already doing down there. It was us that showed up on his agenda. But make no mistake about it, that is a partnership between King Jesus and the body of Christ. You get that, right? So we, I love that. Coastal has baptized, I think, 4,000 people because Jay the Evangelist is out there just kind of running and gunning, doing his thing. Do you know how many we would have baptized? Zero. We get to partner with Jesus. Uh, I think, Brett, there's 49 youth here at Youth Night. That's incredible. We love planning and partnering with what God is doing. Kids ministry, I think, had 40, 41, 42 kids after two years of having our guts ripped out. God is still providing ministry and letting us partner with him. I love that part. World Hope wants to put wells in. Count us in. We will partner with Jesus. That is good. I like Jairus. But that's not all of kingdom ministry. Sometimes I don't just connect with Jairus. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I'm in the crowd. There's a, there's a crowd sitting there. You want to know their names? We don't know them. Just a whole bunch of anonymous people in the crowd. Like I picture myself maybe standing like over here. 
And like Jesus and Jairus are over there chatting and all the crowd's moving around and we're kind of watching and maybe I'm chatting looking for a peanut butter sandwich because I'm hungry and Jesus and Jairus are chatting and all of a sudden while I'm talking to somebody or checking my phone, this Jesus says, someone just touched me, the power went out for me. I'm over here texting a board member because I'm an important visionary leader and Jesus is like, hey, Something just happened. And I put my head up from my phone, like, what just happened? A miracle just happened. No, a miracle couldn't have happened because I was busy texting, setting up ministry. And Jesus said, no, no. Something just happened while you were distracted. And I feel like sometimes in the kingdom, I'm not planning, I'm not participating. God just shows up and shows off and touches people without me. And I'm as confused as you are. I'm standing at SIP last week talking to a town leader about a, doing an event to raise money for the, for the food bank. And we're chatting for a while and the town leader leaves and this lady says, oh, excuse me, sir, excuse me. She's like, thank you guys so much for giving to the food bank. It, I, I depend on the food bank having food. And she said, I went there yesterday and there was no food, but thank you for giving to the food bank. I said, do you still not have food? She says, yeah but I'll be all right till next week. I won't be all right till supper. I said, that's unacceptable. So I called Tom Can. I said, that South Pantry has got to be full, isn't it? Yep, it's full. I said, I'm sending you somebody because the person I was with said, I've got a truck, I'll take them down and load them up with groceries and take them back to their apartment. Like, okay, I don't know how that just happened, but all right. I get a text 10 minutes later from Tom. We sent this lady home with groceries and a washing machine. I was like, a washing machine? He's like, well, someone showed up last week with a washing machine and we had no plan or purpose for it, so we stuck it in one of the classrooms. And this woman said, or she saw the washing machine, she's like, anybody using that? Because <laughs> she's in her apartment washing in a basin in a bucket. And Tom's like, well, you can have the washing machine and the person with me is like, well, I've got a pickup truck. So Tom and this guy load the wash machine into the back of the truck with the groceries, drive to her apartment, install the washer, put the, put the groceries in the thing. And I'm thinking, this isn't the plan. This is not on my schedule. We did not budget for this. And Jesus is like, can you just stay out of the way for a minute? I'm sitting at Tim Hortons in Fredericton one time having a coffee with the guy. And we're having faith conversations in a crowded Tim's, which I'm not as bold as some of you. I always feel like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. The guy leaves, and I'm just picking up my stuff, and the couple beside me says, are you a pastor? I said, yes. And as God is my witness, she's like, my friend here needs to hear the gospel because his life is falling apart. Could you share the gospel with him? I was like, well, this isn't really church time. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of off the clock here. I'm not preaching today, folks. Church, there are times that we are like Jairus and we plan and we participate with Jesus. And there are times that we're, forgive me, the buffoons in the crowd that don't know what's going on, but God has a plan besides us. And he just might let us get a glimpse of what he's up to. I love when God orchestrates things that I am oblivious about. But there's a third way of the kingdom. I was slow on this one because I'm slow. I saw Jairus, 
and I saw the crowd. There's one more in that, in that story that needs to be drawn attention to. The woman, right? See, there are times we plan ministry, and that's phenomenal. There's times we don't plan, we just kind of show up, and God's already got stuff swirling that we know nothing about. And then there are times that we're not Jairus, and we're not the crowd, we're the woman. And there are times you don't have it together, you don't know how you're going to make it through, because the text says that she had spent all of her money on physicians and could not get an answer. She was at her wit's end. In church, sometimes we're like that woman, are we not? We're at our wit's end. We don't know what we're going to do. God bless the physicians, but they couldn't help. And her faith, she just reached out with a last-ditch effort and said, I just got to grab Jesus. I don't like associating with her, truth be told. It seems too weak. I want to lead from a position of strength. And God just keeps drawing me to this woman like, no, no. There are times you don't have any answers. There are no plans. Life has kicked you right in the soul. And sometimes the kingdom advances by each and every one of us just reaching out with nothing left and grabbing onto Jesus. Now the part I don't understand is why Jesus doesn't heal everybody. I don't know. But sometimes I sit back in awe that he heals anybody. None of us are deserving. None of us bring a resume to him and like, look at you owe this to me. But there's something about her faith and desperation that Jesus wasn't even looking at her, but her, she was so hungry for Jesus, she just reached out and grabbed him with all that she had because everything else was failing or not delivering. And she received a life-changing miracle. I think there's some artistic poetic interest that she has been bleeding as long as the young girl had been alive. I don't know what that's, I don't know what's up with that. But this, this 12-year-old girl who just received a miracle, her entire life, this woman had been suffering. And both receive a miracle. Sometimes we plan and we participate and we celebrate. Sometimes we're clueless, we don't know what is happening, but God in his grace keeps providing miracles. And sometimes church, we're just being pummeled one day after another. I plead with you, reach out and grab Jesus. I can't explain to you how miracles work. I can't explain to you the economy of miracles, how he budgets them, when he throws them out. I can just say that he still provides miracles. And so church, I don't know what God has for us in the next 72 years. I don't think I'll see that 72. <laughs> I don't think I'll see that one. But I want to be somebody who is ready to walk in the way of Jesus. Whether it's planned and organized or whether it's just spontaneous, impromptu, 
while we're doing life, God is like, oh no, I'm clearing a space for a miracle. I want to be somebody who's ready for wherever the Spirit leads and however we plan to partner with Him. I want the ministry and the life of Jesus, church.